52. <clears throat> I didn't give you any verses, sorry. So you don't have to put them up if you don't want to. You can just, people can just look in their Bibles. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us. We thank you for uh, this time that we have together to study your word. Pray that uh, you would help us to focus during these next several minutes. Help us to put aside our distractions. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. Lord, that uh, maybe you'd remind us of something or that you'd challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a little shorter, so I'm going to lower this. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, the Bible says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace." And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and, pre uh, and preached peace to you which were afar off. And to them that were nigh, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, and whom also, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we'll talk this morning about reconciliation. Somebody give me a definition of reconciliation. What does it mean to be reconciled or to reconcile? Frank. Okay, there is an aspect of being changed in reconciliation, absolutely. Josiah. Okay, to be brought back together. Think of like, um, you know, we, we talk a lot, uh, we use the word reconcile a lot when speaking of a marriage that's on, that's, um, that's having issues. And then the couple will reconcile their marriage. They'll be brought back together. A good definition that we could use um, would be a change of relationship from hostility to harmony. A change of relationship from hostility to harmony and from enmity to peace between two parties. So there definitely has to be change that takes place, but it would be the bringing together of two parties that were at odds with each other. And when we talk about the reconciliation work of Jesus Christ, who are the two parties that are at odds with each other? Okay, God and mankind, God and sinners, absolutely. Josiah's awake. Is anybody else awake this morning? The two parties that are at odds with each other 
would be God and mankind. We use the word hostility in that definition. And um, that's a word that we often use today, right? Like people are hostile with each other. What, what does it mean to be hostile? Somebody that's not Josiah. What does it mean to be hostile? Ken, he's being good. He's, he's answering questions. That's why I'm saying not Josiah. Okay, not welcoming. It's a little bit, a little bit more serious than not welcoming. What does it mean if you enter into hostile territory? Violent opposition, okay? We have to understand, we weren't just not welcoming to God. We were violently opposed. Mankind, because of sin, we are violently opposed to God. It's not just that we're not welcoming. And because of our sin, we were completely separated from God. And we talk about reconciliation in our culture today. There's a lot of talk about reconciliation with regards to many different aspects of our culture. But we need to understand, and many of us have, but it's a good reminder that we needed to be reconciled with God. We needed a reconciler, and we couldn't come to God by ourselves. We needed somebody to reconcile us to Him. So in Ephesians chapter 2, it, again, we've been going through the book of Ephesians with the teenagers, talking about the great wealth that we have through Jesus Christ. Because we do have great wealth through Jesus Christ. No matter how much money we have in our bank account, we are rich because of our relationship with God. And because of Jesus Christ, we are wealthy. We talked last week with, with the teenagers about the fact that God is rich in what? Mercy. God is rich in mercy, and he pours that mercy out on us. And he's rich in grace, and he pours that grace out on us. We don't deserve it. And because of his mercy, we don't get what we do deserve. So let's talk about this this morning. So, in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to see a few things. We're going to be reminded, first of all, that Christ is our pardon. In verses 11 through 13, we'll remind ourselves of the pardoning work of Jesus Christ. Let's look at those, those verses, 11 through 13. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ. He says, remember, in the past, you were without Jesus Christ. And because you were without Jesus Christ, you were aliens. What do I mean by aliens? Not the little green men in space, right? What do I mean by aliens? Someone said something over here. Outsiders, foreigners. Foreigners is, is probably, I mean, outsiders is the same thing. You're a foreigner, right? Think about, think about today, okay? Somebody who comes to the United States who is a citizen of another country, until they become a citizen of the United States, they are an alien, right? That, that's what we call them. They would be called, they'd be referred to as an alien. Um, I don't know why, like, it's, it's weird, right? 
that we use that phrase, but it's someone who's out, you're an alien. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, I'm proud of it. You're, you're someone who's an outsider, technically. Now, fortunately, you have been brought in. You haven't completely been reconciled because you're not a citizen, but you've been brought in and given safe harbor, right, by the chaos. So someone who's from the outside, it's an alien. Someone who's, who doesn't belong, not saying you don't belong, but they're not a citizen. They're not a citizen. It's not their home. It's just a place they're visiting. Um, but you have a nice home to live in while you're here. So, <laughs> But remember, this is even talking, the, 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 the illustration with us and, and Carlos is not the same illustration because we're friendly to Carlos and he's friendly to us, right? Like, we're not... We're not hating on Carlos because he's, because he's an outsider. When this book was written, the Gentiles and the Jews did not get along. They hated each other. The Gentiles, the Roman citizens, they were occupiers in the Jewish territories. And they did not get along. They hated each other. So really, we need to understand this background information. The Gentiles, historically, were not part of the Abrahamic covenant that God had given the Jews. Now, did that mean that Gentiles could not, could not um, put their faith in a coming Messiah? No, it didn't mean that Gentiles could not be reconciled. But nationally speaking, and part of the promise, part of the Abrahamic covenant, they were not involved. Paul even refers to them as the uncircumcision and to the Jews as the circumcision. The Jews were God's chosen people, and the Gentiles were not God's chosen people. And Paul reminds them, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It's a pretty dire situation. Paul says, this is who you used to be. And this is who we used to be without Christ. We were strangers. We were outsiders. Some people were even enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of Jesus who fought against him, who were, lived life the way that they wanted to live their life, lived life for pleasure, lived life for their own satisfaction, wanted nothing to do with Christianity, and in some cases, even mock those who were believers. But we see, Paul says, remember that that's what you used to be. That's what you used to be. But now, verse number 13, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made not by the blood of Christ. You're made near. You're made close. You are now, and he's going to go into it a little bit further in the coming verses. It's important for us to remember, even if we, got, even if we put our faith and trust in Jesus at a young age, it's important for us to remember, before Jesus, before we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we were far off. Even if we put our faith in Jesus at the age of five or six, 
we were condemned because of our sin. We were in the same boat as the sinner that's on the street today that lives a wicked life. We were the same. We were going to spend an eternity in the lake of fire without Jesus. Because it didn't matter how good we were. It didn't matter, you know, on the scale of human levels, whether or not we had committed a murder or told a lie. It didn't matter. Because on God's level, we were sinners condemned for hell. It's important for us to remember that, that that is where we came from, and that God brought us out. He reconciled us. He made peace with us through Jesus Christ. And he's telling these Gentiles that, listen, you were afar off. You were aliens without Christ, but now you're in Christ. And without Christ, mankind today is alienated. They are not near. They're, they're, they're aliens. And they're not close. They're far off. But the blood of Jesus Christ is our pardon. And Jesus reconciles us to God. And the only reason that he's able to reconcile us to God is because he died for us. Jesus can reconcile you because he died for you. Christ isn't just our pardon, but part of his reconciliation ministry is he is our peace. Look with me at verse 14 and 15. Verse 14. For he is our peace, that's Jesus, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Christ is our peace, and he doesn't just reconcile us between God and man, but he reconciles us between Human beings, man and man, right? So, so first of all, he reconciles us to God. And again, we talked about the fact that he accomplishes that. He brings us peace with God through his death on the cross. And what happened when he died on the cross? What was the, the big sign that happened in the temple when Jesus died on the cross showing the reconciliation between God and man? Was that louder so I, so I can hear you and then everybody else? The veil torn in two. Tore in two. So, so the veil was this big, thick, um, made of goat skin curtain, right? And what did that separate? Okay, it separated God and man, but how, what did it, like physically, what did it separate? Yes, it was separated the holiest the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And inside, after the veil, like inside the veil was the Ark of the Covenant. And that is where what or who, I should say, dwelled. That's where God dwelled in the Ark of the Covenant. So, that was the representation. So, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil ripped in half from top to the bottom. 
that's kind of a big deal. Um, I'm kind of amazed that uh, it's only just mentioned, like, you know, like when it happened, it just says it's kind of just like historical. Like, and the veil rent in twain. And then we see it again. Paul writes about it. But like, imagine you're the priest who's working in the temple, and all of a sudden, I don't know if it happened when someone was there or if it happened like this was the Passover, right? I mean, did it happen when someone was there? Did it happen when uh, like he came in the next day? It was like, hey, something happened here. Like, it's kind of a big deal. It's that not a big deal to anybody else. Like, I mean, the big, it ripped in half and nobody ripped it in half. It just did it. Like, wouldn't the priest be freaking out? Like, why don't we read more about this? It's kind of a big deal. The veil ripped in half from top to bottom, showing the fact that we were now reconciled. We could now access God without going through a high priest. The temple is standing, but it wasn't just the veil that ripped in half. In the temple there was an actual wall for, because Gentiles were allowed to come to the temple, but there was a wall that the Gentiles couldn't pass and only the Jews could pass. And they could not be fully incorporated into Jewish worship because of the fact that they could not enter into the temple because of the, the wall that was there. They weren't allowed in. Paul is saying, Jew and Gentile can now worship God together because Jesus Christ has reconciled Jew and Gentile. He's reconciled you to fellow believers. The wall no longer exists physically or spiritually. The wall of separation was destroyed. But we still put walls up regarding our relationships with other people. Sometimes we build walls between Friends, sometimes we build walls between physical brothers and sisters. Sometimes we, we build walls between husbands and wife, build walls between each other. We're still building walls, and we're still, Chris and I were talking about this yesterday, actually. We, we have some, um, some friends that we've known for a long time um, who are, are getting a divorce right now. And we're talking, and it, we're just talking that, like, what do, like, something, to make the decision to end a marriage that you have, that you have vowed before God, and that you've now spent 10 years of your life together, and you have a few kids, like, either something drastic has to happen, or you just don't want to make it work. And we understand drastic things happen, right? And, and in terms of abuse, then there are, there are definite reasons to leave. But aside from that, something very drastic has to happen, or you just want to give up and don't want to work it out. Or you let little things build up over time, and you're slowly building a wall between you and, and your spouse. And it happens with spouses. It happens with friendships. It happens with friendships. We build up these walls and then they start a little bit at a time. And then before we know it, there's we get to a point and it's like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't see that person anymore. I don't speak to that person anymore. 
But that is not what Jesus has intended for us. His reconciling ministry doesn't, isn't just between God and man, but it's between fellow believers. The point Paul is trying to make is that the Jews and Gentiles can reconcile themselves to God and they can reconcile, well, they can't reconcile themselves to God. Jesus reconciles them to God and Jesus can help them reconcile to each other. But they need Jesus. They need Jesus to help them reconcile. In verse 16, verse 16, we read that it's Jesus who might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Or he, it could be translated, he, he slew, he, he destroyed the enmity in himself. That's how he destroyed the enmity, by his blood. And we understand that the cross is the bridge that people can use for their reconciliation. The cross is the only bridge that we can use for reconciliation between God and man, but it's the bridge that we need to use when reconciling ourselves to other believers as well, to making it right and to restoring relationships. Jesus died on the cross so we could be forgiven from our sins and so that we could have peace with God. And he's not just our pardon and our peace, but because he's our reconciler, Jesus is our possession. Look at verses 19 through 22. And the Bible says this, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an, unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God, through the Spirit. Look, at, look again at verse 19. You're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. There should, there should be no lasting conflict between a believer because you're not just citizens together, but you're now part of the family of God. You're part of the household of God. There should be no more enmity with another believer. There should be no more discrimination. There should be no more, um, there should be nothing that separates us from, from other believers because we're members of the family of God. We're fellow citizens. We should not allow petty differences to get in the way. We should not allow, um, you know, aside from core doctrinal beliefs, we should be getting along with other believers doesn't matter what they feel about politics. It doesn't matter what they feel about, um, oh, I don't know, we could go down the list. If there's no major doctrinal error, there should be, we should be getting along with that. We're fellow citizens. We're not strangers and foreigners, but we're members of the same family. We're members of the household of God. We should be getting along. So Jesus being our possession, he offers us, um, there's, there's three metaphors that help us understand what it means. And, and the first one that we'll see is we have citizenship. We have 
citizenship. In verse 19, he says that we're fellow citizens. God has granted us citizenship because we're fellow citizens. We're not strangers and aliens anymore, but we're citizens with the saints. Heaven is our home. We're no longer citizens of this world. It doesn't matter what nationality we are. It doesn't matter what country we belong to. It doesn't matter if we're from China, the United States, or if we're from Spain. Because this world isn't our home. Our citizenship belongs in heaven. In verse 19, the metaphor he uses is family. We're built, uh, we're members of the household of God. We're not just made citizens, but we're literally placed into a family. He's our temple. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. And because we are, we're told elsewhere in the Bible that we are the temple of God, and because we're the temple of the God, we're going to worship a holy God for all of eternity. We sing in church. We sing on, on earth, right? We, 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 who, who likes to sing? Anybody like to sing? Nobody likes to sing? I mean, seriously? Like, Leah, you sing all, like, you're literally going to college to sing. Can we all wake up? Who likes to sing? Bill, I know you like to sing. I see you singing. I see all of you singing, all of you, well, almost all of you. I don't know if I could point out, what's that? Well, I didn't say who, who thinks they're a great singer. Who enjoys singing? Like, God has built us for singing. We have, an, we, have an, we have a couple books of the Bible for singing. We have the entire book of Psalms. They're all songs, right? Um, we have the Song of Solomon. Right? That's a, that's a, it's a song, right? It, we have, God has built us to sing. Singing is a part of the way that we worship God. The angels in heaven are singing. We are going to spend all of eternity worshiping God. It's, um, so I go to this, I, I, last year I went to this conference, and I'm going to go to this conference again this year. It's, it's a, a conference, um, Literally for singing. Oh, I will also announce in, um, I don't know if I'm supposed to announce this, but I'm going to. We're not hosting it, so it's not a big deal. In September, um, September 29th, it's a Thursday night, in Connecticut, uh, the Gettys, Keith and Kristen Getty, are going to, there's going to be a concert there. We do a lot of their, we sing a ton of their songs. They're the ones, if you're not sure, they wrote In Christ Alone. They also wrote, like, maybe two of the songs we're singing this morning. Um, no, one of them. One of them. Um, but, yeah, so they're, they're going to be, uh, a friend of ours, they're going to be hosting them for a conference on September 29th. Um, so if you're interested in going, put it on your calendars. Um, 
Oh, but I go to this worship conference, and I, I went last year, and we're going again this year in September. And uh, it's just like this past year, there were like I think five or six thousand people, and you're in this auditorium of like five or six thousand. We're actually at the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, and it's just the room just like from the moment the, the conference starts, it's like two and a half days of singing, and the room just fills with people singing praises to God. And it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing to be with that many people. And it, they, they joke around, it's just a taste of what heaven's going to be like. And really it is, because in heaven there's going to be millions of believers singing praises to our God. And, and I always say this when I come back. I'm not disappointed when I come back after co- leaving a conference like that, because we are a very good singing church. You guys sing really well. You sing it out, you sing it loud, and you, you, sing, it, you sing well. Um, so I'm never disappointed when I come back. But we're part, of the, we're part of the temple of God, and because we're part of the temple of God, we're going to worship God for all of eternity. We're going to worship him for all of eternity. He says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus Christ the chief cornerstone, verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord. We're part of that building. In whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So as, we, as we're, we're finishing up this morning and we think about reconciliation, let's, let's make it practical. So we understand, we understand God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. He's our, he's our pardon, he's our peace, he's our possession. But now let's talk about it in the next few minutes. Practically speaking, what if we have a relationship that we need to reconcile on earth? What if we have a, recon, a, a relationship that we need to reconcile on earth. Well, I'm glad you asked. How, how could we do it? Well, let's think about um, four different things to think about. The first thing is, think about the word responsibility. The word responsibility. So, why do I say responsibility? Well, I'm glad you asked that question as well. Take responsibility to initiate forgiveness. Take responsibility to initiate forgiveness. Matthew chapter 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, okay, so you have an issue with a brother in Christ, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer your gift. Take responsibility. Whether you're right or wrong regarding the issue that has caused the lack of harmony, take responsibility for your actions, your reactions, your attitudes towards the other person, and be the one to initiate forgiveness. Well, secondly, the second word to think about is humility. The second word to think about is humility. Approach the other person with a sincere desire to be reconciled. 
approach the other person with a sincere desire to be reconciled. Remember, approach that person in, in humility. You both need to pray and ask God for wisdom and discretion. And if you're the one that is, um, if you're the one that is uh, initiating, then you really need, before you do this, to seek God's wisdom and direction as you embark on this. Um, remember, you're both sinners. You both make mistakes. Maybe there's misunderstanding involved. Maybe there's an actual wrong that's been committed, but you need to approach it in humility. We're told in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12, put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, and above all, put on charity, which is the bond of per, uh, perfectness. Charity, humility, and love. The third word to think about is unity. Paul talks a lot about unity in the church. There should be unity in the church, and there can't be unity in the church if there's not unity between brother and sister in Christ. In fact, the entire goal of reconciling is unity. Ephesians 4.3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let the other person know that you value them, that you value their friendship. Your relationship with God is more important than a disagreement that you have with them. We can put aside our own rights and privileges for unity. And the fourth word to think about is love. Show unconditional love even when that person doesn't want to be reconciled. That can be difficult to do. That can be difficult to do, to show that unconditional love even if somebody doesn't want to be reconciled with you. Um, but Christ reconciled us to God. He showed unconditional love to us. We're reminded in Luke 6.35, Jesus says this to his followers, but love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again. Love your enemies, Jesus said. Hopefully a brother or sister in Christ isn't your enemy. But show love. There's a lot of, there are a lot of people in church with a lot of differing opinions. And you may not agree with that person's opinions. But show love, unity, and humility anyway. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is how we can be part of the reconciliation work today after salvation. And it takes God's help and God's grace for us to do that. So we'll close with two questions. The first is, have you been reconciled to God? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? There's no other way to heaven. There's no other work or, or deed that we could do. It is simply by putting our faith in Jesus Christ in him alone, that he paid the penalty for our sin that we deserve. 
and that he died on the cross and he rose again. Have you been reconciled to God? And the second challenge is, is there a brother or sister that you need to be reconciled with? Don't let today go by without, without reconciling. Don't let today go by without making that relationship right. If we lack unity, love, humility, and, and we have enmity with a, a brother or sister in Christ, that is a sin that we need to ask God's forgiveness for. And we need God's help in overcoming. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us. God, we thank you for the reconciling work that you did on the cross through Jesus Christ. And we thank you that through his sacrifice, we can be reconciled to you. And you can help us to be reconciled with our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, we pray that you bless the service this morning. We pray that we would honor and glorify you with our words, our actions, and our song. In Jesus' name.